has that kind of slurvy kind of pitch. Back fly ball out in the center. Way out of here. Oh, Margo, my goodness. Number 27. Hey, what's up, Cub fans? Welcome to episode 132 of Locked On Cubs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Ryan Davis, here on Friday without Sean Sears. I think he has Fridays off from his job, and I suspect that he oversleeps uh, when he doesn't have to get up in the morning, which is totally understandable when you're in your early 20s and don't have kids, which I am not either of those. I am in my early 30s and have kids. So I don't remember what it's like to sleep past like nine o'clock, but um, totally understandable that uh, he would miss all my text messages. Uh, Not a big deal. So uh, today's podcast, we can talk to you about the Cubs winning yesterday. Uh, That's two in a row and they actually scored some runs. They got some great pitching. So some positive signs going forward. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about tonight's, I'm sorry, today's matchup in a couple hours here uh, with the Reds should be kind of interesting. Uh, pitching matchup and then we'll talk about where Cole Hamels ranks among Cubs trades in midseason Cubs history we'll talk about a very impressive Baez home run and have a little fun with uh, some audio on uh, former Cubs home runs and then in the final segment we'll basically just look at the standings because not a whole lot happened in the NL Central yesterday so uh, the Cubs scored runs again and also got great pitching as I said Uh, I'm moving the needle from remaining skeptical to cautiously optimistic. Uh, Cole Hamels allowed a first inning run on a bloop double, a bloop single, and an infield single, but that would be it for the Reds. Hamels threw a 114-pitch complete game while the Cubs would pile on seven runs. That was the first complete game uh, this season by a Cubs starter, and it was just exactly as we predicted it would be it would be Cole Hamels in uh, the last week of August to do it right Anthony Rizzo hit a two-run homer in the first inning Javier Baez hit uh, the second longest home run in Major League Baseball this season later in the game 480 481 foot blast to center field and out of the ballpark one of the most impressive home runs I've ever seen at Wrigley um, we'll, we'll go over some of the other ones that I came up with that are impressive in the second segment, but uh, pretty much everyone had a pretty good offensive day except for Schwarber and Bodie who combined to go over eight. So the Cubs play uh, the rest of the series at 120 the next three days starting today. Matt Harvey going against Alec Mills. It'll be Mills's first major league start, but not his first big league appearance. Uh, you'll remember he threw uh, two innings for the Cubs in St. Louis about a month ago. Uh, in total, he's thrown five and a third innings in the majors between the Cubs this year and the Royals uh, in 2016. Uh, the Royals once considered him to be one of their better pitching prospects, uh, but he got caught in a roster crunch and was traded to the, the Cubs in the offseason prior to 2017. So this season in Iowa, Mills has started 23 games with a 4.84 ERA, 7 and 7.8 K per nine, three walks per nine. So not outstanding numbers, but... This is a guy who you know, has decent stuff. He mostly throws strikes. Um, 7.8K per nine is a, is a bit of a, uh, a little bit of a jump in strikeouts compared to the last few years. He wasn't a big strikeout guy. So I, I don't know what to expect or what to tell you out of Mills today. Uh, the hope is that the Cubs get to Matt Harvey and get him 
uh, a, a little bit of a lead or a cushion early so that he can relax and, and just go out and throw. But if the Cubs aren't scoring runs today, obviously they're just not going to win because they've got this guy making his first start. And if you don't score, you don't win. So uh, Harvey pitched twice against the Cubs this year, both with the Reds, uh, throwing 11 and two thirds innings with 14 hits allowed and two walks allowed, 10 strikeouts and only four earned runs. So let's talk briefly about Hamels and where he ranks, where's it, where this trade ranks. So there are only a few other really big mid-season deals in Cubs history that I could think of that made you know, a, a major impact or are big on this list. So first, Cole Hamels, five starts, 34 innings pitched, 24 hits allowed, 30 strikeouts, eight walks, three earned runs. That's incredibly impressive, especially when you put it down the fact that one of those earned runs was yesterday on a bloop double, a bloop single, and an infield single. Hamels was just dominating yesterday and and really uh, in, until the ninth inning when he got in a little bit of trouble and loaded the bases, uh, really just ate the Reds alive. So he has a 0.79 ERA uh, in his five games. The Cubs have won all five. That is, I mean, more than the definition of an ace. He has been uh, what Verlander was for the the Houston Astros uh, in the rest of the regular season last year after they acquired him. That's not to say that uh, Cole Hamels will continue like this or that he'll carry the Cubs to a World Series victory. That remains to be seen. But to this point, he has been absolutely outstanding. So let's look at uh, Cubs trades past. So when we're talking about the trade deadline, um, Rick Sutcliffe doesn't really count as a trade deadline trade. Um, yeah, other ones are slightly before the trade deadline, but you can still kind of count them because they are in like July, but Rick Sutcliffe was traded on June 13th in 1984. Uh, everyone points to his record. He went 16 and one, which a record pitcher win loss record was a much bigger deal in 1984. So, uh, he won the Cy Young award. He had an ERA, I think slightly over two or in the mid twos, um, pitched really well for the Cubs, won the NL Cy Young, um, took him to the, uh, the playoffs, uh, they lost to the Padres in five games, obviously, but uh, really great trade. He had a couple more good years with the Cubs. He had some injuries, um, especially in 1985, that really hurt them. Um, the rest of his career with the Cubs, I would say he was a good, not great pitcher. You know, very solid. Um, I think on a great team, not a top of the rotation guy, but maybe like a number two or a number three. So a very good Cubs career for him. Um, it's also important to point out that the Cubs traded Joe Carter in that deal. And Joe Carter, not a Hall of Famer, but got some Hall of Fame votes, at least. Uh, had a very good career. Hit a walk-off home run in World Series. So, uh, great player for him. Good deal on both sides. Just, you know, it is what it is. So, that's one of the top midseason trades in Cubs history. The one that I think is the best midseason trade in Cubs history is the 2003 deal for Kenny Lofton and Aramis Ramirez. And what makes this the best deal for me is, A, the Cubs gave up basically nothing. It was Bobby Hill and Matt Brubeck, which is the equivalent of a, a basket of baseballs. Uh, they sent them to the Pirates. They got Lofton, who batted 327 with a 390-something on base the rest of the year as the leadoff man. Absolutely outstanding. And then Ramirez, who didn't have a great finish to his regular season in 2003, but hit a bunch of home runs that mattered in the postseason, I think he hit four of them. I think for in, until 2015, uh, Ramirez was 
like the, the Cubs all-time leader in home runs in playoff history, which is crazy. But um, Ramirez just had an absolutely outstanding career with the Cubs uh, over nine seasons. He had some injury problems, but 24 wins above replacement. He had a couple seasons where I think he was over five wins above replacement. He was their best third baseman since Ron Santo in the early 1970s and the, and the late 60s. Um, so, yeah, Aramis Ramirez, it, this one was a big deal. They filled a hole at third base for several years, basically from uh, 2003 when they first started actually like contending occasionally uh, all the way through the Theo Epstein years. Ramirez was at third base. Other trades that I think were important, the Rich Harden deal didn't exactly get the Cubs where they wanted to go. And yes, they did give up future American League MVP Josh Donaldson. But Donaldson, as I'm sure you know, back in 2008, was a fat catcher with a bad work ethic at a, in A-ball, basically 19 years old. So you didn't really know what you had in him. And you know it, it was a lottery ticket kind of player. Um, if he turned into something, you know, good for Billy Bean and the A's, but you were getting the guy that you wanted. Rich Harden had a sub two ERA the rest of that year. He basically was a five inning pitcher, but struck out a bunch of guys, didn't give up a lot of contact, didn't give up runs. Uh, he was that extra pitcher that you needed to help, you know, push you, uh, towards the postseason. And unfortunately, by the time he actually got to the mound in a postseason game, Cubs were down 0-2 on the road. So, Yeah. Unfortunately, you just can't blame Rich Harden for what happened, but a great deal in general. The other one that I have down is the Chapman deal. Obviously, the Cubs won a World Series. Uh, you can say a lot of things about Aroldis Chapman, but uh, he played a he played a role in that. Um, you know, people point to like, oh, well, he blew saves in the postseason. Yeah, but there were a lot of situations he came into that were real tough, and you know, maybe not specifically his fault that he got the slap with the blown save. The first one I can think of is. Uh, the the twenty uh, the the NLCS that year the first game uh, came into a really tough situation got the first two outs and then gave up a base hit that allowed you know time run so uh, Chapman you know most people don't like him personally which is totally understandable because of uh, his past issues but the Cubs don't win the World Series without him I, I just don't think that's even debatable I know pe- some people feel different but just completely not debatable. Uh, Madden rode his arm down the stretch. Um, arguable how he should have used him, or maybe he misused him. But, you know, obviously Game 7 was a manifestation of how much he'd been used. I think he threw 42 pitches the day before or some, something like that or two days before. So, yeah, uh, Chapman deserves to be in that conversation because he played a big role. The Cubs won the World Series. So uh, I think that's it. If you have any other mid-season trades that you think uh, deserve to be on this list, go ahead and uh, let me know. You can find us at Locked on Cubs on Twitter, or you can find me at Ryan Q. Davis. If you're not a Twitter person, you can also email at LockedOnCubs at gmail.com, and I'll bring that up on the next podcast. This is a little bit fun. Uh, since I don't have Sean on the podcast and I don't have anyone to banter with about these, uh, I really wanted to chat with somebody about um the, the most impressive home runs by a Cub at Wrigley Field. And I came up with my top three. And when I say most impressive, I mean feats of strength. Balls that just are absolutely demolished that go really, really, really far. And uh, a lot of people kind of countered my three that I put out on Twitter with uh, another one that I think uh, doesn't really fall into this category, falls more into a different category. We'll talk about all that. But um, 
Let's start with my very first one. This one is a Chris Bryant home run from 2016 against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, it was the longest home run hit in Major League Baseball that season. Deep left. That'll tie it. How far will it go? Off the board. Wow. One to one. So, again, a, a regular season home run doesn't have the emotional carry that a lot of other ones would, but. You know, it was a 495-foot home run, just an absolute blast off the top of the video board. Um, the reason I specifically remember this one, I was there in left field, uh, maybe a couple rows away from where that ball landed. So uh, very, very easy to stick out in my mind. Second home run on this list has some emotional attachment to it because it was a playoff homer, um, but not one of recent history. It's actually Sammy Sosa in game two of the NLCS against the Florida Marlins. Hits this one to dead center field, uh, basically uh, almost where Baez hit his uh, on top of the camera well. High drive straight away center. Sammy plays long ball. And I mean long ball. Wow. Wow. Remember we said that the Florida Marlins don't think Sammy can get on top of a good fastball up in the zone. This is not up high enough, and Sammy can still get to that one. So uh, my most impressive home run. This one comes from 1999, a year when the Cubs didn't make the playoffs, a really just awful year in Cubs history from a player that's mostly forgettable uh, as a Cub uh, or remembered as you know basically just a, a steroid monster. But... Uh, Glenn Allen Hill, the, this home run, you just can't beat it. You like the red shoes or the blue shoes better? Like that. I like the blue <laughs> shoes better. Way out of here. Oh, my gosh. Oh, he hit it on the roof. He hit it onto the roof across the street. I have never seen that. On top of the building. Even he admired that shot. If you listen to that and you don't know which one we're talking about, uh, that was the home run that Hill hit on top of the rooftop uh, across Waveland Avenue that if the rooftop wasn't there, it probably would have just kept going because the ball was still kind of on the upward trajectory or just starting to come down uh, when it landed. So, yeah, that, that home run was just an absolute monster. Um, I have a few honorable mentions here. Um, and we'll, we'll play the video for this, too. Uh, these are great emotional home runs, memorable home runs in Cubs history. Uh, first one is the most common one that people tweeted at me as an impressive home run. This one's the Kyle Schwarber homer. And Schwarber sends one high and deep, way back. And this ball is long gone. Mercy. What in the world? Over the scoreboard on the Sheffield it goes. Schwarber with a booming home run. And the Cubs have a 6-4 lead. Whoa, what a statement. That ball was crushed. So, yeah, it, it landed on top of the scoreboard. It was a big home run. It was Schwarber. It was against the Cardinals in the playoffs. That makes it one of the most great emotional and memorable home runs in Cubs history. Uh, but... It went 418 feet, which is 
you know, it really pales in comparison to the Baez and the Bryant, the Sammy home run, the Glen Allen Hill homer. It just doesn't even come close. So uh, next on the emotional home run list uh, is one, another one that I was present for and a, a really big home run in Cubs history. Let's go back to game one against the Dodgers. Here comes the 0-2. And uh, let's go to our final emotional home run. I was not present for this one, but it meant, it meant a whole lot to me as a kid. And, you know, prior to 2015, if you had asked me uh, what the greatest home run I'd ever seen at Wrigley Field by a Cub, uh, you know, in Wrigley Field history, I would have said this one. It's a great bat for Woody. Even if he doesn't get a hit, he's up to 43, 44 pitches. As a pitcher up there, you want to make the opposing pitcher throw more pitches. In the air, left center field, Kerry Wood plays long ball. You're going to watch Kerry Wood hammer this pitch right down Broadway. Talk about a pitcher helping himself out. He knew it was gone as soon as he hit it. So yeah, they, they lost that game, but the Cubs were down three to one at the time that Kerry Wood came up to the plate. They had a runner on. It was two outs. It was a three-two pitch. Wood had had a great at bat, made um, you know, the pitcher throw a lot of pitch. I think it was Mark Redman. Uh, made him throw a lot of pitches. And at this point, you were kind of just like, okay good enough even if he makes an out if he strikes out here that's fine the Cubs scratched out a run you don't expect Kerry Wood to do anything here and then he drills a home run to the seats ties the game game seven of the NLCS I mean it just absolutely uh, a monster home run in Cubs history so yeah um Baez 481 on on the home run uh both Sammy and Chris Bryant measured at 495 uh, I don't have a, an official measurement on Glen Allen Hill. Um, somebody told me they thought it was 480 was the official total, but that the Cubs at the time kind of raised their eyebrow to that number and thought 480, are you kidding me? Which I'm completely in agreement on. If it went across the street on top of a rooftop, uh, there's no way it was less than 500 feet. So those are the ones that I had audio for you. Um, other great home runs in uh, Cubs Wrigley Field history. Moises Alou hit the game seven home run um, after Kerry Wood that uh, put the Cubs up five to three, at least briefly. Um, Sammy Sosa had a game one homer in the ninth inning with two outs that tied the game in 2003, which was huge. Chris Bryant had that game five World Series homer off Trevor Bauer. Um, and then Anthony Rizzo. Why does everybody remember the Schwarber homer, but no one ever talks about the Rizzo homer in the NLDS? I don't remember the distance on it, but I feel like it was pretty close to the same distance. And Rizzo's home run actually uh, gave the Cubs the lead. Uh, and Schwarber's home run was just the insurance run. So uh, if we're talking about great home runs or important home runs, I would say Rizzo's was more important than Schwarber's. So uh, let's go to our final segment. We'll just kind of wrap this up uh, talking about the NL Central. So uh, yesterday, the Cubs and the Reds were the only teams that played in the NL Central. So the standings are like this. The Cubs are 73 and 53, back 20 games over, still in first place. 
Um, the Cardinals are still in second, 71 and 57, three games back. Milwaukee stays at 71 and 58, three and a half back. The Pirates, 63 and 65, now 11 back. And the Reds drop to 56 and 72, 18 games back. So to preview things for you for the rest of today in the NL Central, uh, the Brewers play tonight uh, at home against the Pittsburgh Pirates. That'll be Wade Miley, who's having an outstanding return with the Brewers against uh, Joe Musgrove. The Cardinals are on the road against the Rockies. That's a 7.40 p.m. Central time start. Miles Michael is taking on Antonio Sensatella. So if the Cubs can beat the Reds again this afternoon, that'll put pressure on the Cardinals and the Brewers to win to keep pace. If they can't do that, if the Cardinals and the Brewers lose, the Cubs go back to a four-game lead. Feels a little bit more comfortable, right? We, we won't have to talk so much about the, the Cardinals sneaking up on them. You know, hopefully the Cardinals start to cool off a little bit. The Cubs go on a run. If you want to look at a positive, the Cardinals hit this really hot streak that you would have to assume might come to an end at some point here. Um, they hit this really hot streak and the Cubs hit kind of their like low point offensively uh, and started to turn around and the Cardinals never you know, got any closer than two and a half games in first place. The Cubs didn't lose their lead um, during these two stretches. So it kind of turns around a little bit. Cubs can push that lead back to four, maybe five or six games. That would really give them uh, a lot of breathing room and, and make the, a lot of people feel a lot better about um, the rest of the season. Thanks for listening. Uh, this has been episode 132 of Lockdown Cubs, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Ryan Davis. You can find me on Twitter again at Ryan Q Davis. You can also find my work at Bet Chicago. I write occasionally for The Athletic. I write occasionally for The Sporting News. I write occasionally for NBC Sports Chicago. You can find me at any of those places. Uh, reach out if you have any questions. You can also email us, lockdowncubs at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with another podcast on Monday.